I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, and this is Rendering Unconscious. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Celeste Petrusa. So how did you get into your topic for your dissertation in the first place? Oh, it was a long journey. So um, I my dissertation is called Kink and Flux, uh, BDSM Theory and Sexual Praxis. And that was not originally what I had intended to write my dissertation on. Um, throughout graduate school, there'd been many mutations of um, topics that I was interested in. And I actually ended up in a Levinas class, of all things, um, presenting on um, ethical concerns in BDSM and an attendance to um, the of the radicality of otherness and subjectivity. And it was a difficult um, project and presentation, specifically in the context of Levinas studies, too, um, and really thinking about subjectivity and trauma. And when I presented it, um, I actually went to uh, the Society um, SPHS, um, Phenomenolo- Society for Phenomenology and the Human Sciences Conference, and presented um, this paper. Uh, and I got a lot of response of, please write more about this, that I had heard from a lot of um, fellow clinicians that people were coming into their uh, practice, uh, couples too as well, or poly groups, um, and that there wasn't a lot of discussion, particularly in the field of clinical psychology or more contemporary psychoanalysis too, about um, the praxis um, following Foucault of BDSM and uh, and kink. And so it was a, a process of really writing the proposal. I had started off with a qualitative project um, and really and ended up doing a theoretical project for time limitations and also structural constraints too, um, at least in the context of the Catholic University um, where I was there was at least at the higher up administration level, a lot of concerns about what it meant to be um, researching kink and BDSM um, and really talking to people about these very intimate, personal, sexual details um, of their lives um, that extended into other areas as well. Um, and so that actually brought up a lot of um, questions for me about institutional power and also projections onto um people in the BDSM community or kink, especially given the history um, and legacy of certain aspects and elements of psychoanalysis um, with regard to that history of pathologization too, as well. And that there are uh, different factors and different um, approaches to that. Um, And yet that I really, when I started to work, really set to untangle a lot of that, of what it meant to um, work in an embodied way and with the um, on the ground praxis of BDSM, and also to take seriously and grapple with the historical trajectory and particularly in fields of theory and philosophy, um, and maybe where those intertwined and intersected and where there were radical lacunae too. Um, And so Um, ended up much to my surprise when I um, got to the writing part, going back um, to Desaad and earlier to to look at how did we get um, historically, uh, um, psychoanalytically, 
um, to where we are now with regard to um, considering kink and BDSM. So that was the uh, process too. And it also came to you from um, a, a personal place as well. I had for a very long time um, kept uh, my own particular sexual subjectivity um, and um, identity outside of my um, personal, professional, academic work. Um, and yet, as I moved into this realm, um, that came more into a line about how did I um, speak as a clinician, as an academic, as someone who has had um, and has uh, grown and learned so much from my um, involvement with alternative sexual cultures um, for a very long period of time. Um, and what did I learn from that in the context of also um, being in a long-term analysis, doing analytic work, where the values and mores were so different um, too, as well. Um, and yet I didn't find these worlds um, incompatible whatsoever, despite a lot of surprising prohibitions and taboos about it. I mean, <clears throat> it's often interrogated in um, analysis and questioned about, um, is writing about kink and BDSM uh, a kind of uh, performativity? Am I exposing or revealing too much and certain kind of labels that would get placed upon it um, depending on one's perspective? Um, it's complicated too, um, to really, and so I started to think about it. It did come from a very personal place about um, what are the implications and particularly as a woman um, talking about, a cisgender woman um, talking about a sex and sexuality, pleasure um, and jouissance, and also um, working analytically too. Um, it really brought so much up too and how and, and changed me in in the writing um, of this as I went along too. And so what did you learn about kind of the history of how this all unfolded? And so I, you know, I'm, I'm in my dissertation, I really go back and look at um, Saad and how um, in that moment and Saad's writing, um, writings really brought forth and Juliet Flower McCannell um, uh, writes very well about this um, in the Hysterics Guide to the Future Female Subject about how Saad opened up um, possibilities for um, women's sexual expression and not um, perhaps explicitly or intentionally in that way, but provided this form of political uh, resistance that uh, queer theorists and um, and had certain feminists to um, take up. I mean, Simone de Beauvoir writes, um, must we in must we burn sod um, about this? Um, and yet what the limitations are, and I believe even limitations within um, a Lacanian framework too, of really thinking um, uh, perversion and um, and its possibilities um, only within the context of, of and history and legacy of Saad. Um, that uh, that this idea that I think it's um, Juliet Flower McKenna who writes that it's a, a precarious. Um, and I'm paraphrasing here a bit, um, a, a prisoner's dream or a precarious freedom there. And what the resistance is at times um, for psychoanalysis in terms of learning about um, how uh, alternative sexual culture is practiced too, is I, I think Leo Bersani's um, work uh, really does engage with this, particularly in um, 
gay male cultures too, um, where he, uh, he pushes beyond Foucault really in talking about um, uh, what at the level of the real um, uh, S&M cultures um, open up, um, which he describes as the non-suicidal disappearance of the subject. Um, uh, he, he also describes S&M as a, a primarily um, hygienic approach to nonviolence, um, again, paraphrasing a bit there, is that, um, that, that psychoanalysis can learn from subcultures that are doing um, a different kind of form, um, not in the same ways, but taking up a lot of the um, notions of, of fantasy. And I mean fantasy in the psychoanalytic sense, there too, um, not only um, the common everyday use of fantasy, um, but fantasy and its radical ability to transform um, subjectivity um, through a deeper level and at the um, on the level of the unconscious. That um, the kinds of discussions of um, roles and um, desire, um, the complexities and playing with gender that happens um, in um, kink and BDSM. Um, often goes way beyond the kind of public discourse that we hear about identity-based um, forms of sexual expression. A friend recently sent me an article from Psychology Today and said, what do you think of this? And it was this question of, um, should we consider kink and BDSM a sexual orientation um, versus, uh, I can't remember what the... the, the um, the article called it versus a kind of uh, past time, something like this. Um, and I sighed when I got this. I said, this is not the question. Um, I, I just, she's like, oh, I thought it was interesting and good to really think about um, sexual orientation beyond that, beyond um, gender, um, which point I take up really um, fully. And yet still always this, um, desire to cordon in or really delimit the radicality of sex, um, which uh, Alenka Zupanchik takes up um, so um, profoundly in her recent book and What is Sex? and really looks at this disruptive power and critiques um, uh, from the get-go the idea that um, through relational psychoanalysis that sexuality is a defense against feeling, which I mean, I, I believe one can see in, um, in an implicit way in certain forms of um, teleological arguments regarding sexuality about um, certain quote-unquote more developed forms of sexuality um, and the kind of language that gets used in a normative psychoanalysis, um, uh, which seems to spring from a, a fear of this, um, of some of Freud's original insights in the three essays on sexuality, where there is this polymorphous perversity and, uh, and Freud comments, well, we, we can't really um, say much about um, a, a person based upon what they are interested um, in, even if their um, fetish is something to the extent of um, coprophilia, the eating of shit, um, that they may, um, in all other domains of their life, um, be, quote unquote, fairly well adjusted to. And so the later t uh, kind of versions or variations I think particularly in American um, ego psychology, um, really try to downplay this radical element of Freud and perhaps Freud himself um, uh, does this too um, as well. But to really look at when we go back to that, um, if, if we take out this notion of progress and a, a, 
a, a timeline or um, normative development, um, what are these forms of play um, and resistance? I mean, uh, I think to um, one of the lines that struck me when I was going back and doing uh, writing my dissertation is in A Child is Being Beaten, Freud talks about, describes um, sadomasochism as a consequence of moving through Oedipus. And um, if we look at uh, uh, Franz Fanon or post-colonial writers, to really think about um, what does this particular moment of the visibility of um, BDSM and kink, I mean, it's um, no longer uh, subcultural or um, outside the mainstream, but what might it say to, uh, um, um, in terms of more flexibility with regard to um, non-edipal structures to, and what might be some implicit fears um, as uh, clinicians, practitioners living um, under in capitalist discourse and neoliberalism um, about this and this kind of um, uh, connection with um, sexuality and the unconscious with forms of um, creative revolt too. Um, that, uh, that there are forms of kink and BDSM that take up more of the imaginary structures and the, um, uh, the clothing, the, um, the implements, et cetera, um, that commercialize it. And yet in various uh, communities, um, uh, whether queer, feminist, uh, kinksters of color can still uh, find these um, uh, pushing against um, these norms, these things that are not um, and that's only represented or representable and continually in reformation of what does uh, what does relational structures, I'll say, um, look like and in flux um, rather than this um, uh, idea of genital development that we find it doesn't hold true for um, uh, women and those who identify as women and many others. Um, and so uh, and, uh, gender non-conforming individuals and asexual folks, that these um, ego-psychological notions of, uh, um, of pleasure and development um, don't hold. And um, another writer that I had a chance to go back to um, in the dissertation to, um, who I don't hear mentioned often is Robert Stoller um, and his work on perversion and his uh, last work in ethnography um, on an S&M community where he really looks at fantasy um, and fantasy in kink and BDSM. Um, and what, I mean, he takes up this question of as a psychoanalyst, what he learned from his time um, spending with, with um, people in the Los Angeles um, S&M community there is that, uh, in the, this, the sense of um, what is often portrayed and is not really how um, people are living and that deep emotional um, levels, psychic trauma um, is dealt with in alternative sexual communities and the question of change, um, how um, one can truly change through a sexual praxis, languaging it and being able to co-experience that um, with another. I think is something that um, certain forms of, of psychoanalysis might shy away from um, be out of, uh, I mean, the, the difference in, um, in modality that um, in analysis, our, our mode is often or usually uh, language. And yet um, there are other 
ways of play that hit that can be language that hit at um, uh, what Lacan would call the level of the real of the body um, that happen in those moments of self-shattering um, uh, in sexual praxis. Yeah, I think that's a really good point too because that's something that always frustrates me is that, you know, of course, in an analytic session, we're working with language, but this idea that, like, like action doesn't function or something, like, that language is always superior and that you always need to talk about it in analysis, but that if you're acting it out, that there's some sort of issue and doesn't, like, promote real change, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, and, and that, um, this is what I, I really like. So acting out, right, is a concept that also I find very fraught. Um, to um, in certain forms of analytic discourse. And that what I like about uh, Lacan's um, conceptualization of what acting out might mean doesn't have this kind of um, loaded sense that it might have in um, relational work where everything implicitly ought to be within the frame or within language in that discussion, um, or is it framed as resistance in some way, um, is that uh, to see the acting out as a movement through, as a way mm -hmm. of, as a mode of change. Um, and I consider, I mean, the question, Lacanian analysis of what constitutes an act, a psychoanalytic act, um, and in a particular moment, and that I believe in um, kink and BDSM, there are radical acts like analytic acts that happen through the body that that aren't um, prescripted, that aren't um, determined in advance and are unknown to both and or many players um, in the scene. Um, the, these really push at the questions and issues of um, the notion of consent and how we talk about informed consent um, and consent both in analysis and in sexuality too is that um, there's a certain frame and bound boundaries and yet um, in the moment even with those as the structure these radical moments of surprise um, are and um, and um, and limit shattering in a way um, are the moments where of risk are the moments of intimacy um, and where the possibility of um, some kind of subjective change occurs too um, that that hits at that wordless space of like what just happened here um, how how did we we get here and what do we say or do now is that um, and this question of doing right um, I, that uh, that I really think that one of the things that where I also go in the dissertation is into schizoanalysis um, as well, and how might um, Lacan um, and Deleuze be thought and worked with together, um, particularly, and um, and particularly masochism, um, the different notions of masochism, um, and yet masochism is this space of sensation um, of, uh, of the body, oftentimes of the feminine um, as well, and a certain kind of remapping that happens um, through um, through masochism. Um, and what I appreciate about schizoanalysis is really thinking about the affective and material and the act of doing that it happens that through whether it's an 
um, a sexual act and artistic creation um, and how do we really think about our investments, um, libidinal investments um, in the material and in various forms of um, eros-based and erotic couplings? Um, and where I, I run into some um, questions with Deleuze, and there's different ways to um, think about this in the context of schizoanalysis, is how to also um, take up, which Deleuze just not so much, um, a Freudian notions of and ideas of the death drive and repetition compulsion. Um, though for Deleuze, he would not see those as, and particularly his work with Guattari, as linking back to family dynamics, but a productive creative force in action. Um, and I do think that that's in line with a Lacanian approach, um, is this production um, and association um, and is spoken about in a different way. And there's some people whose work and some emerging new scholars um, who are writing at this intersection, um, uh, particularly Matt Lovett um, recently wrote a dissertation on um, sexuation in Deleuze and Lacan, and that that has some, um, from a philosophical standpoint, couplings with that. Um, Alenka Zapanchik writes about um, Deleuze near the um, end of What is Sex too, as well, and really how to um, make these work together. I'm coming from a more uh, practice-based um, uh, approach um, and less so um, a philosophical, exclusively philosophical one. And so really looking at the historical and materialist movements of kink and BDSM and really how to stay uh, close to um, in the historical context to this current moment um, and uh, cultural transformation and change. Yeah, and I really appreciate too what you said about um, Freud kind of laying this out so early on, like 1905 in Essays on Sexuality. And like, even though he kind of backpedaled a bit on himself, he really said some radical things and really showed how like every avenue that sexuality takes is equally valid to every other avenue. And there shouldn't be this idea of like that this is more developmentally uh, progressed than another way, you know? And I really think that's the way that the way that psychoanalysis needs to move forward and just society in general. These are not like things that are higher or lower or more progressed or more regressed than others, that they're all just different ways of being in the world and they all, all of them serve functions. Mm -hmm. Well, and to ask too, um, what, what is the fantasy, right? Or like, how does the fantasy function? To go back to the notions of um, the transference, I mean, um, though one wouldn't speak about that outside necessarily a clinical context, that um, the, the how the, uh, fantasy um, occurs and transforms and that there is an awareness of this um, with kink practitioners too about who does someone become who is the other for someone else um, and how does um, those forms um, change too uh, that that there's um, the, the sense of uh, the language that we use um, I believe whether the explicitly or implicitly can it affects and gets into to people about like what's uh, um, sets up a norm and what can be spoken and one um, place where I go in that I went in a dissertation that was unexpected to me um, um, and that I um, didn't 
realized when I began I would go into is also the um, the, the question specifically of um, women, um, gender nonconforming folks, um, and other people whose um, subjectivities, non-normative subjectivities were excluded from theoretical discourse too, as well. I mean, when it's, it's thinking back through how psychoanalysis, um, the origins of psychoanalysis was a very simple but radical notion of um, what would it mean um, for a, a doctor not to um, intervene in the fantasy of a hysteric and yet to listen to those productions, to stay um, in, in that space rather than run from the transference or run from the fantasy um, uh, of whether that's of, of, of sexuality, of pregnancy, um, and, not, and like not to fear and have such a, um, a, a resistance to um, at the time, mostly women's expressions of, of sexuality, that that was a radical act not to try to change it, to um, masturbate it away or to, um, uh, or to pathologize, um, that, uh, to, to listen um, to yeah, what to was happening. to control it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And that, uh, and that still, um, the the these expressions of um, uh, of fantasy there's that there still isn't space I think um, often in public discourse for what do those sound like there um, with a lot of focus on um, instead perhaps on um, identity politics let's say um, uh, but rather of like really listening to what bodies speak. Um, and have been excluded from from discourse and what are they expressing in that fantasy i mean one of the things when um uh, Kraft ebbing was writing about masochism and um sasser masoch's um, venus and furs was that uh, he believed that one of the uh dangers of masochism was the like criminality of of women and what if uh women were to make um, morally deplete men of their um, virtue and morality uh, through a kind of depravity that um, mass the male masochism um, in particular was framed as uh, as pathological um, because it um, implicitly there that it would have profound social consequences um, female dominance as such that would radically unsettle at least in the 19th century, I mean, as much today too, um, the that notion of the time, and so this the uh, passivity and masochism as um, having within them um, a real radical force. To um, is uh, Amber um, Jamila Musser has a a, a book that really uh, speaks to this, uh, and in her and some of her more recent work too. Um, looking at these uh, forces of masochism um, and uh, political change and specifically too for um, uh, people and women of color um, as well um, what how does different forms of um, uh, masochism and narratives of sensation um, alighted in our historical discourses and and why what does that um, what what does that mean um, 
that you know runs outside of the bounds perhaps of what we might see as uh, liberal subjectivity to really go into that um, uh, poetic space that space to sometimes uh, often of, um, of of collective trauma um, and the possibility um, I believe too of um, of witnessing um, that a lot of the um, feminist writing on kink and BDSM looks at how um, the space and social alternative social space provides a form of collective witnessing for trauma that couldn't be spoken and the opportunity to um, to transform that um, as well. Could you say a little more about that? Yeah, so um, there's in ter- there's I, I have a section in the dissertation on um, on um, some more marginalized subcultures of kink and BDSM. Um, and I, I'm really going to refer um, offer people to read uh, that. There's um, a lot of ways that trauma survivors find different embodied forms of collective co-becoming and witnessing through um, uh, not not even reenactments, but reclamations um, of um, experiences of actually playing with different um, roles and um, and spaces within um, various forms of either individually experienced or collectively experienced trauma. Um, in some ways, I've been, um, I'll speak to this uh, openly, very um, also protective of speaking about these uh, communities and um, and subcultures, one, for out of a desire not to speak for, for others, um, and two, also with the recognition that um, in in a certain kind of more uh, public discourse, there can be a way of um, <sighs> taking these up in more triumphalist ways or narratives um, in a sense that um, I'm wary, as some others are too, as well, of uh, narratives that only explicitly frame them as therapeutic um, because that's becoming a, a dominant discourse of um, BDSM and kink as um, a, um, a cultural therapeutic or therapeutic practice. Um, and I think that gets into dicey territory there. Um, that, that's many people's, that's some people's experience. Others engage in BDSM and kink for um, for fun, community, um, uh, uh, sexual pleasure too um and the that perhaps sometimes the more radical aspect of it is that there's a certain kind of self-transcendence that doesn't have a space um in um in dominant discourse um too and that um but to answer your question about about um what that looks like too is to have to be in spaces where um, the gaze and the role of the imaginary, the the camera, perhaps even, or um, a, a certain way of looking, um, isn't there, but rather um, felt experiences through the body um, of being able to participate in that collective experience, and then have it um, dissipate in a, a way. I mean, I think here of 
the history and legacy of performance art too as well that um, forms like uh, groups like Fluxus um, in the 70s mm-hmm. um, where it ha- or certain kinds of temporary happenings um, would occur and then dissipate and yet leave within them indelible marks um, on the, uh, the participants because of that um, autonomous space um, outside of the 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 usual forms of uh, the state and law. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think in general it seems like um, these practices like highlight or lay bare these kind of positional p- positions rather than I, I'm so frustrated with the d- discourse on like sexual identity and like the relation to the phallus and this sort of thing and I'm really more concerned about kind of framing things more in like um, p- different positionings and I feel like in the queer community for example it's like being a top or a bottom or dominant or sub or something people understand more like the relation to one another as being important rather than specifically like what genitalia you have or something like that. Yeah well and that those um, top or bottom right dominant and submissive are always um, in and with an other, right? That identity and subjectivity isn't formed in in a vacuum, mm-hmm. um, and that that is changed, and that the, the, there can be well, words that are added to that too. That um, I think here that you can be a dominant and also say a pain slut, right? At the same time, that those are not um, uh, mutually exclusive. Like you can be like that. There's uh, the ability to to switch too. Um, that it is with certain or particular people because i think that that is also um something that um that those are creative um and often not for everyone but often um flexible um um identity engagements let's say um they're an acted and enacted and done um in not as performances, um, but rather through a kind of deep performativity um, that hits at the, um, that is, I'm using the word real here with the lowercase r, but like that has, that, um, <clears throat> that, hit, that is, that has a, a that are very real for um, individuals who engage in them in those moments. And, um, and sometimes beyond, I mean, there's, um, Robin Bauer has some really great chapters and um, essays on um, how in qualitative work um, in um, communities about how uh, those roles, like taking on a um, dominant role in uh, a scene um, may then lead to other ways of doing that in, in life. I mean, you can think here too of um, popularized movies too, um, where this, this happens and that uh, the explorations that occur have effects um, uh, outside of the um, quote-unquote role play that are more than roles, and also the possibility for multiplicity too. That um, uh, I, given the dissertation, the example of, of a an account by Lee Harrington um, of participation in a, uh, a puppy play um, and in a wolf pack, um, and how people can get into non-human becomings too that it's not limited the fantasy isn't limited to the realm of the human but actually tapping into um, identities such as primal identity and then how change happens in lee harrington describes how um he was 
for they I'm actually not sure of Lee's pronouns, so I'm gonna say they. Um, uh, they were participating in a um, a uh, human puppy pet romp, and was um, some was a new I feel like a pony was introduced into the pet romp, um, and all of the other players surrounded the new entry into the the scene and that they became concerned because they could see that the new person um, in the scene was uncomfortable. And as um, a dog, this might sound very strange, came up to them and um, barked at the other players to make some space so that the new person in the scene um, was no longer so afraid and that that dissipated and changed the energy and the environment there too um, about how these non-human uh, engagements actually get in touch with real capacities that um, we each have and might not even yet know about too of um, being a, a protector figure or um, certain um, other or, or a particular kind of tenderness that previously was undiscovered um, and that those and it happens through in and through relational uh, configurations. Deleuze would call them assemblages um, in the way that these affective um, couplings happen and then um, change and return to um, a, a different state than before. Yeah, and I feel like just this dislocation from your kind of day-to-day -day identity or how you are in the world in itself whatever the form that dislocation might take would be important, just, just that kind of shift. I mean, how, how often do unintentionally, like even those of us who really are attuned to the unconscious and spending that uh, the time and with our um, acknowledgments of that get like lost in it, in the everyday things of like, here's my to-do list, right? Or like, this is what quote unquote uh, needs done uh, that we forget this other realm um too that's um of otherness that uh, affects us um in the in these ways and that um analytic space is one place where um the we tap into that um art i believe is is another to um various forms of of ritual and that kink and sexuality too um as well and that there's it's it's uh there's a there's a dangerousness to it um and i mean that in the mo in a positive way there too that um that it can be easier to avoid those aspects and spaces um and because uh because it's disruptive right like it, uh, productive and yet also um, disruptive in its radical discontinuity from from the everyday, um, and yet can still return to that um, and and say what happened there, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And these seems like these spaces, like you mentioned, like art, uh, psychoanalytic spaces, ritual spaces, BDSM kink, sexual spaces. They all are like places that you can be creative, they're places for like creativity and play and kind of fantasy and exploring these things within these sort of boundaries. 
where we don't necessarily know who we are, right? I mean, I found that in the context context of um, I did many years of uh, Kleinian analysis too, of like the the truly weird other parts of um, of, of subjectivity, um, the inexplicable, the 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 dirty, right? The um, the the ugly, even like I and I. I say this without like value judgment on these label labels right is to like actually where where do we get to place our hands in the dirt um choose your choose a metaphor there of um of wrestling with this stuff and i mean and, and like and that the metaphors that we cho- choose also are embodied and i think that that was the main place where this project came from is that um i also have a deep um uh, passion for much like psychoanalysis phenomenology and found myself very frustrated of um, you know, why is sometimes there less dialogue between psychoanalysis and phenomenology um, and particularly later phenomenology, the late work of um, Merleau-Ponty, the post-phenomenology of Deleuze. Um, and I, maybe because certain forms of phenomenology may um, presume access to lived experience, um, but that's not all phenomenology. That there, um, Merleau-Ponty um, in *The Visible and Invisible* um, works at that space of the acar or the gap, um, or where um, things are not completely reversible. Um, the kind of um, uh, disjunct that Lacan takes up in his work on the gaze, too, that um, and how to really consider um, the nuances of embodiment and the embodied um, unconscious, um, what it might mean to um, uh, look at something like a metapsychology of movement um, without um, presuming to know what is done or being done or happening um, is that the combination and the concatenation of fantasy uh, with um, bodily movement, I think can can p- find a place for that and that they can be spoken. There might be some uh, sense of like, okay, this is so beyond speech that it's not possible. And yet, um, perhaps we haven't yet tried to talk about it, what it means to position a body in a certain way or um, what's being signaled. And that uh, that's the Things like the work, I mean, consider thinking about um, uh, the idea of something like microaggressions um, and which uh, might be even a minimization, right? There is to think about aggression, right? And how um, do people experience, um, feel and perceive um, and create, imagine um, and know, right? Or have some kind of um, at least um, movement toward knowledge, let's say, that uh, kind of static knowing, um, uh, through what's experienced in um, the, the, the look, the body, and how might psychoanalysis take these up as not um, antithetical to analysis, and yet part of um, some of the things that I, I believe were have been opened up by psychoanalysis, this um, uh, uh, by like Jill Gentile's book um, and uh, Feminine Law and really talking about the notion of um, freedom of assembly um, that she does at the end and democratic speech is that um, psychoanalysis has a, a 
history and legacy of um, involvement with this and speaking, and that these forms of, of new new ways and possibilities for languaging um, the effective experiences of the body and the unconscious um, and um, and at deeper levels too. Um, you know that. Uh, things that are in the or might have been in the realm of the the wordlessness um, to take these up not as uh, yeah as oppositional um, but rather as um, as more possibilities for how we can we can work. So you said that in the beginning that you went to uh, a phenomenology conference to present this. What was that like? I haven't heard of these. <laughs> Oh, so it, it, I was on a really great panel. Um, it's, it's been many years now. And so um, I was on a panel where um, a colleague of mine who works on, um, his name is Justin Pearl. He works on um, sexuality and phenomenology um, and the work of um, Jean-Luc Marion. Um, and someone else on the panel was working on pain and the experiences of, of, of pain and phenomenology. Um, I definitely got a lot of stunned stares, that's for sure, because uh, there there is a certain kind of uh, I, I, I'm of kind of connection with, um, and particularly given its uh, some of its Catholic history, of phenomenology with the good, um, in a sense. Um, uh, and this my presentation on um, I think it was, I called it at that point in time. Uh, a chance to hurt is a chance to heal. Um, the Lebanonian ethics of uh, kink and bdsm uh i definitely was like some people being like i don't know if you're supposed to use levinas like this like you're not supposed to slap the face of the other um like but okay um and yet that i i really and there's some ex excellent writers working on um, the intersection of levinas and lacan suzanne barnard's work um for instance um Rosalind de Prose writes on um, Levinas and Lacan as well. Um, or no, actually Levinas and Merleau-Ponty, um, she does. Uh, and and really uh, looking at like what, I, I give some very personal examples in the paper too, as well as the moments where um, in kink one turns back, right, where you can't know. Um, you know what, and the f feeling of what have I done? Like, is this okay? Um, and can we still speak afterwards too, um, as well? That um, that we might not, we can't know in advance necessarily the effects um, of our our actions too, and what it means to take the risk to to cross that um, divide. Um, and otherwise than being, um, Levinas says, uh, like talks about communication with the other um, as a great risk um, and the face of the other <clears throat> as having this um, necessary and yet unanswerable ethical call. And that I believe ethics is key to um, psychoanalysis, um, ethics and an ethic um, as likewise, um, you know, I, consider kink and BDSM more than an identity, um, a praxis and an ethic too. It's realized by the combination of theory and practice and this underlying ethic. So 
Uh, yeah, I got a lot from uh, Levinas. It, Levinas didn't make his way into the dissertation, um, and yet uh, phenomenology and and I, I really I'm I really appreciate the work of uh, Merleau Ponty, um, and yeah, I think that it's a, a very careful um, and nuanced work to go back to fundamentals of um, of the body that were um, an embodiment that weren't spoken about in philosophy too, and try to really um, reconsider um, the the divide in philosophy and um, how we understand things like the gesture. Um, and how is that possible um, to perceive or have the experience of when I wave hi to you, um, it not being a cognitive thought necessarily like, oh, Celeste is waving hi to me, but um, <laughs> that uh, that we can respond to in a way, and um, and to really think about that the intertwining, um, and start from there, and then perhaps pull that um, later apart too. Um, that yeah, that uh, phenomenology and Merleau-Ponty writes about psychoanalysis um, in his later work too, that they do have places of intersection um so it was a it was a good conference i really like um sphs each year um and and i find that um going back to phenomenology will in, enrich and really deepen how i i think about um psychoanalysis and when we are in the um, maybe the phenomenology of psychic space too as well the um the phenomenology of the invisible um, we're considering um, object relations or um, I mean, I think Laplanche's work is very, has lots of um, elements of the phenomenological um, in it psychoanalytically. Mm-hmm. Um, and that uh, it is a way of building and gathering um, uh too. And so I, I find that um, critically, um, the critical phenomenology and moving in those spaces um, enriches um, my analytic work too, as well. You've mentioned so many wonderful books. I feel like I need to list the reading list at the end of this episode <laughs> <laughs> so people know where to find all of them. Uh, is your dissertation becoming a book that people can buy? That's the goal. Yeah, um, so I'm working on the proposal now, um, and that is what I hope to. That is now in the post PhD um, life, um, the next goal for what 2019, uh, 2020. Though I'm told that it's uh, no longer fashionable to have goals. Instead, um, one develops habits, which is deeply phenomenological, <laughs> is to develop the habit of um, publishing books and. The, the, and writing book proposals good that's gonna be great (laughs) it's a good habit to have I'm in that habit now myself (laughs) um oh I just had another question for you and I just it left um oh are you so you're gonna go to the conference in Duquesne that's coming up in October Mm mm-hmm yes presenting on something very different um you know it's interesting because my work uh, over the years with Lacan 
I, I found it really difficult in the dissertation to write about Lacan. And perhaps, um, you know, I did touch upon some of Lacan and queer theory around um, Lee Edelman and the Santomosexual um, and some intersections with hysteria and kink and uh, BDSM and the queerness of hysteria. And yet I, I the Lacanian ethic is what undergirds um, my work, I believe. Um, and so Lacan doesn't make much of a, too much of an appearance um, in the dissertation. Um, and yet, yeah, I'll be at the Lacan conference presenting on, on very different work. What are you presenting? Oh, so um, it's on the criminology decree and, um, and looking at um, the, the truth in psychoanalysis and the use of um, polygraphs um, sociologically in the American cultural context um, for the treatment of um, sex offenders or people who committed sexual offenses. Um, and that comes out of uh, clinical work that I was doing um, and uh, looking at clinical structures of um, neurosis and perversion and how a Lacanian approach nuance and critique um, the way that um, treatment of um, those with perversion is practiced um, in the United States and going back to the um, Acre and Lacan's reflections on the um, sociological elements um, of criminology and psychoanalysis's inter intersection of, with that. So, um, and it's interesting, that was something that uh, came up uh, uh, for me is how do I how do I reconcile work on kink and BDSM and perversion and the creativity of perversion with the um, truly um, destructive um, and abusive um, aspects of um, that can occur um, with perversion, um, very of perverse structure mm -hmm. too. Um, very similar but different, and really thinking about. I do take that up in the dissertation some um, with regard to um, decide and how. Um, thinking about like if we actually met um, the Marquis de Sade, right? Like were these were were not um, fictional uh, accounts, right? Um, that that would be very different, um, and that uh, non-consensuality is the epitome of violence, and that kink and BDSM is not violent. Violence doesn't have a place in a, a scene. Um, Aggression, on the other hand, um, what what it might mean to really um, take up um, aggression productively is different, um, too. And that my sense is that healthier um, and also um, more generative um, and discussions of sexuality and the diversity of sexualities um, is can have beneficial effects for um, and socially. Um, I was surprised in a dissertation to go back to Reich and some of Reich's um, uh, work too, and some of his uh, uh, ideas that he had prior to these coming into public discourse about um, <clears throat> the importance of liberation of forms of, of sexuality and sex education too, um, and how that. Uh, those kind of, that I think that discussions of consensual um, uh, 
kink actually um, have great benefit um, and you know, um, and aren't and so radically different from um, forms of violence um, and non-consensuality uh, perpetrated um, by others, and yet how to hold space for um, both of these aspects of um, sexuality. It's radical creative capacities and it's capacity to um, destroy too. Um, and that that really gives uh, uh, weight is the word I'm coming to mind, um, weight to um, what is sex and why do we encounter, um, as Alenko Zupanchuk talks about, um, these the thorny problems every time we um, approach it. So, yeah, so that's that was also something that in clinical work, academic work, I had to do a, a lot to um, to come to terms with as a clinician and scholar that um, I would and might see um, all sides of this and not only the um, uh, as I say, positive um, aspects um, and the, um, the the fun and the playful that I appreciate engage in, in engaging with um but some of the uh, thornier difficult um uh, questions around um abuse and uh, being a survivor and working through um trauma and sometimes when those are collapsed together um with and through the same person too um so yeah so lots of complicated things that have come up in just working in these different fields of of sex and sexuality listening to Rendering Unconscious. You've just heard a discussion with Dr. Celeste Petrusa. For more, please visit our website www.renderingunconscious.org for links. You can also visit my website drvanessasinclair.net. Rendering Unconscious is also a book. Rendering Unconscious psychoanalytic perspectives, politics, and poetry. Please visit our publisher's website, trapart.net. That's T-R-A-P-A-R-T dot net. Please support the podcast at our Patreon. You can find the link below or visit www.patreon.com slash V-A-N-E-S-S-A two three C A R L Experience, 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 experience,
Sexuality is not around by either the unconscious sexuality. Third, third, third. 